And why is this where it is in the scriptures? When, when, when you look at the, um, the New Testament, put together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you can tell why certain things are in place. And in this passage here, there are a sequence of events that you begin to get if you perhaps see the illustration that Jesus gives us through the fact that he deliberately didn't just go, you're healed. You think about it. If you go back in Mark's gospel and you see what he's done elsewhere, he doesn't even have to be there to heal somebody. He can raise the dead. He can heal any kind of disease. And yet, on this occasion, either he deliberately did it in two stages, or he was having a bad day. Well, I don't believe he was having a bad day, so it's got to be the first one. So why is it that in this particular event that Jesus healed this man in two stages? And why is it linked before and after with this issue with the disciples and so forth? And how does it fit in? Now, Mark chapter 8 is considered by some to be a pivot point in Mark's gospel. The first half of Mark's gospel really supports the, the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And the second half, and why did he come? Now, Mark is, is completely open. Um, he may not be the best gospel to give a Muslim because it starts with, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you very much to say we're not interested. Maybe you should go with one of the other ones if you're going to introduce first because you're going to hit a barrier. But Mark is very clear that who Jesus is is incredibly important and what he came to do is incredibly important. And just before this passage, we get Jesus asking his disciples, not quite are you blind, but can't you see? And can't you hear? And after this passage, we get Peter saying, for the first time, you are the Christ. And then getting slapped down immediately afterwards because he hasn't got something else. Now, if you look at this picture, you realize that this is a turning point in Mark's gospel. We stand past the cross, past knowing what Jesus might, what Jesus did, if, if, if you are a Christian, what he's done for you already. But the disciples were not in that place. The disciples were in the place where they still weren't really getting it. Okay? They were there. They were in the classroom with Jesus. They were doing things with him. They were learning. But when you questioned them, you got those common misunderstandings that you get from elsewhere. And Peter shows one of those up when he tries to rebuke Jesus because he doesn't think Jesus, the Messiah, should die. And that was a common problem that was, was, was a problem for the Jews. Jesus' um, death, so that he didn't then deliver them from the Romans, was quite a stumbling block to, to Jews later on. But the lovely thing about the Scriptures is that when you look at them, they don't hide the problems that ordinary people have with understanding the gospel. They don't hide 
the faults. They don't hide the mistakes. So Peter, here, blows it at one point. Now, you think about it. There is um, another religion which believes in one God and believes that one prophet came. But when you read the descriptions of the life of that one prophet, or you read the things that people wrote that they say he said, there is no criticism of him ever. There's nothing to say, well, you know, he didn't really get that right, did he? It's all very, very positive. And you think about others, and you see the same thing. But with the founding apostolic messengers of our faith who of course themselves are not the ones we worship anyway, the Bible makes it very, very clear that they were like us. They were dim, they were blind, they could not hear, they could not understand. And the big picture that we often are given of becoming a Christian is coming from darkness into light. Now, diseases. Jesus never healed every disease. It wasn't that there were no longer any diseases left in Judea by the time he'd finished. He only healed some people because his time had not yet come. And the time when there will be no more disease, no more blindness, no more deafness, no more anything of that nature will be when we see the Lord when he comes again in glory. At the moment... We see a fallen world which is being steadily run down, if you like. There's things going wrong all the time. A lot of it being caused by human action, but a lot of it being caused by the original human action of sin. And God has said there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. And that's where the perfection will be. But here they are, living in Judea, And they're saying, we're with this man Jesus, we're following him, and he does amazing things. He feeds 4,000 people. He's already fed 5,000 people. Um, I'm not sure the maths I did, by the way, was dead accurate, but it sort of just illustrates the scale of things, doesn't it? That, you know, you shouldn't really worry about that. But he's done a few signs. Look, there's there's a, a child healed. There's a deaf man um, healed. There's 4,000 people fed. Um, and then the, the Pharisees turn up and say, show us a sign. Well, I hate to say it, but <laughs> I would have probably said, well, where have you been? <laughs> he doesn't say that. What he says is that there will be no sign given to you. In another passage we hear, except perhaps the one about Jonah, and Jonah went into the whale and came out after three days. So that's a hint looking forward to the cross. But the Pharisees, you expect not to get it. You know, they're the bad guys, aren't they? What Jesus says is, look, beware of the leaven. Beware of getting their ideas in your head because they're not going to help you. And then it becomes obvious, and he knew this before he started to say anything, that the disciples didn't get it either. And then he heals this man, and in two places he asks him questions, and he asks the man this question, do you see anything? Yeah, 
it's it's a I, I I always get that impression of like a black and white cartoon where you know nothing's quite focused in yet. I don't know whether that's right, but that's the picture that comes into my mind when I read about this man. But then he lays his eyes on him, his hands on him again. He opens his eyes, and his sight is fully restored, and he sees everything. So he had become blind, and now he's completely healed again. Well, how does that fit with the next bit? Well, this is what it says. Jesus asked a question of them. And the question he asked was, very simple, who do the people say that I am? That's the obvious question. That's the, I haven't really asked you anything too hard yet question. Um, And they said, well, you know, some people are saying, see, they've got no ownership of this. They can say what they like because... It's not what they think yet. He's coming to that. He's going to zero in, isn't he? So what do people say about me? We did a survey recently in Dunstable um, because we had a quiz night the other night. The, our, our evangelist had uh, very carefully done a survey and it had to be from people who were not connected to churches so that you could get an idea of what the 30-something thousand people that are not connected to churches in our town think. And one of the questions was, well, who do you think Jesus is? And some people said, son of God. Some people said, great teacher. Some people said, just a man. Some people said, fiction. So we had a range of answers. And when he was giving a little talk uh, on on our quiz night to, to get people to start thinking, he brought out these survey responses as a little game. And... It's quite interesting to see that those responses probably haven't changed very much. Now, you didn't get people saying, he's Elijah, and you didn't get people saying, um, he's John the Baptist, because they were of that time. If you were a Jewish person and you were surveyed a couple of thousand years ago, then that would have been one of the answers that would probably popped up. You know, our survey says, third answer on the list, John the Baptist, come back. Fourth answer on the list, Elijah. You know, or, or maybe he's just one of the prophets. Yeah? And, and if you'd asked the Romans, they'd have probably gone for some kind of revolutionary nutcase. You know, and whatever would have come up on the list would have been what people thought. But why did they think John the Baptist and Elijah? Well, because John the Baptist had come preaching repentance and Jesus was of the same time. And Elijah, well, that's because they thought Elijah had to come before the Messiah, which is true. But John fulfilled that role. Okay, says Jesus, what do you think? Now it's come down to personal. It's not what do these other people think. Well, what about you? Peter, bless him, is the one that always goes in feet first, opens his mouth and gets it right. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. I think that, you know, from what I've seen, you've got to be the Messiah. This is brilliant. But I think he's at the stage of the first question asked of the blind man. I can see a bit. But he hasn't got it completely. Because what then happens is, Jesus says, plainly, for the first time, what he's going to have to do. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes 
and he's going to be killed. And after three days, he's going to rise again. And he said this plainly. And at this point, Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. So Peter hasn't got it. And in fact, I don't think Peter had it until after the resurrection. And I'll justify that in a moment. But that's where he's at at that stage. Now, of course, this isn't the same Peter we see in Acts when he starts to explain the gospel. Things have moved on. He's got it, but he's only got it partly. But let's just look at what he has got. What does he mean when he says Jesus is the Messiah? Well, in the Old Testament, there are promises of one who will come, the son of David. Uh, Isaiah has plenty of descriptions of him. We've, we've sung some of those descriptions this morning, the, the counselor, the suffering servant, the uh, glorious king, the prince of peace. There are different pictures. And the Jews had these different ideas. And depending on who you talk to, they emphasized certain things. Now, to be honest, they thought they were going to get a conquering king who'd kick out the Romans. That's where they were at. And the Pharisees would have been very happy with that idea. If, if, if some guy had rocked up and said, I'm, I'm in the line of David and we're going to kick out the Romans now, the Pharisees would have probably come on side because that's what they wanted. You know, the purity of the kingdom would be restored and so forth. And in a way, Peter's problem here is he's still thinking like them. The leaven of the Pharisees is still there. He hasn't got it. Because he hasn't got that although he is the son of God, Although the miracles and the teaching that is beyond anything that's the wisdom of anybody else in that age is there and makes it clear that he's something completely different to anything that's come before. So he's not just another prophet. He's not just John the Baptist. He's not Elijah even. He's more. Which is why he goes for the top name, which is Messiah. His picture of what the Messiah will do is just not clear at all. He hasn't got the problem. You see, the problem doesn't lie with the Roman occupation. It doesn't lie with whether you've given 10% of your herbs as well as 10% of your money. It doesn't lie with any of those external things. Lots of places in the Old Testament where God says, I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I don't need those things. I've got the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not about that. What it's about is the human heart that has turned against God. And because it's turned against God, has been made blind. You cannot see the truth. A man who was a Jewish teacher in the 20th century at one point, decided to go through with some trainee rabbis the book of Romans. And he started to explain to them the logic of the book of Romans and about how everyone is sinful and about the, the need for a saviour. And as he went through it, some of his disciples, I guess you'd call them, uh, students, said, uh, you know, do you believe this? He said, not a word of it. So he could understand it. He could explain it. But he didn't believe a word of it. He could sort of say the right answers. 
Now, if you've ever taught Sunday school, you'll know that kids always go for Jesus or Moses, and then maybe they'll try for something else. But they, they always think, well, you know, look, 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 I, I can get this one. I can get this answer. And, and at one level, they might verbally tell you something that you know is, quotes the right answer, but actually they don't get it. In their lives, in, in other ways, it's definitely clear that they haven't got it. And this is the stage Peter's at. He's kind of got it, but he hasn't got it. Not in his heart, not where it matters. And what happens is Jesus immediately says, okay, well, you've established who I am. You've got a little way in. Now I'm going to tell you what I came to do. And this is really important because there are people out there who on our survey, not that we we necessarily checked it this way, would have said, Jesus is the Son of God. But in a subsequent question, how do you get into heaven, would have gone for the top answer, which is by being good. Or the second answer, which is by being religious, going into church and so forth. And that's like the bloke who brought the briefcase with the sandwiches in. He's kind of got the appearance of godliness, but he hasn't really understood. Now, that's just where you should be keeping your Bible and other stuff, not necessarily your lunch. There's nothing wrong with putting your lunch in with your Bible as long as the crumbs don't get on the pages. But if you miss the point and you think it's about being good or being religious, then you are thinking in the world's terms. You're thinking in terms of are we winning you know, should we try to get a Christian party elected to run the country or something like that? You are missing the point. Jesus says his kingdom is not of this world. But if you're thinking like that, that's a lot like the mindset of those Pharisees. It's the leaven of the Pharisees or of this world or whatever it is now. The other thing you'd probably do is start saying that, you know, it's all very well having groups of people meeting, but can't we have some decent healings these days? Can't we raise a few dead people? Surely everyone would follow us. Well, the evidence from Mark is that wasn't going to happen. It didn't, didn't move the Pharisees one little bit, and even the disciples weren't getting it. So no, no. The greatest sign, of course, is the fact that Jesus did die and rose. When he said it is finished on the cross, you could have taken that as that's the end of that then. But the fact that he rose again means you realise that what he's saying is the work of atonement, of dealing with our sin, is finished. Now in Mark chapter 9, he does mention why he came again. Um, But he also deals with the disciples having a bit of an issue. So, for example... Chapter 30 of verse 9. No, that's wrong. I mean that the other way around. Chapter 9, verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know, but he's teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they'll kill him, and when he's killed after three days, he he will rise. But they didn't understand and were afraid to ask. So he keeps telling them, and they keep not getting it. Okay? And then, of course, you get the discussion about who's the greatest, which I'm not going to go into today, but they're still thinking, oh, look, when the kingdom comes, who's going to be here and who's going to be there? It's that same mindset. It's about power, not about our relationship with God. 
So, well, the good news is the illustration goes further. This is what Jesus does. He lays his hands on his eyes again, and he opens his eyes, his sight is restored, and he sees everything clearly. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to read the rest of Mark's gospel to you now. Fruitful though that might be, I'm just going to point out the obvious. And the obvious is this, that Jesus knew his disciples were not going to get this until it had happened. So Jesus went to the cross and his disciples still did not get it. If you go to John and you look at the discourse in John where Jesus talks about the fact that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, he actually says, I've got more to tell you. But he doesn't tell them before he goes to the cross. So when did he tell them? Well, I'm going to go into Luke's gospel with you, if you don't mind. Just the very end of Luke and the very beginning of Acts. I'm just going to point out a couple of things because it is important that we get this. So, first of all, the end of Luke. I've just managed to turn to the end of John, which is lovely, but that was a mistake because I opened up Acts as well. Give me a second. The end of Luke, after the resurrection... You get the road to Emmaus where Jesus explains from the scriptures to a couple of the disciples exactly what has gone on. But this is what it says from verse 44, Jesus appearing to his disciples. Okay, he's just eaten some fish, so they know he's physically resurrected. So Luke 24, 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So in, in, Luke, in, in, in Mark 8, he's looking forward and saying, this is going to happen. Now he's saying, this has happened, but it was already said it was going to happen if you read the Old Testament. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus is it written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, stay in the city till you're clothed with power. Now that perfectly matches with what John says Jesus promised, which is, I'll explain the rest. He did. You've always got to remember when you read Luke that he summarizes. So I'm going to turn to um, the beginning of Acts and just point something else out to you. In the first book, literally Acts chapter 1, in the first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What happened? At the beginning was that the disciples were told things by Jesus, and they didn't get it. They didn't get it because, one, they couldn't see how it was going to pan out, but looking back makes it easier, and two, because they needed the Lord to open their hearts to understand. And when you look in the Scriptures, and when you read the New Testament, you often see things like, they didn't get this then, but they did get it later. Jesus said in John's Gospel, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Later the disciples realised he meant his body, not that temple. Yeah? In other places, you see the same thing. They look back and they didn't understand it then, but then they realized. And they realized because of one, the truth of the resurrection was now clear, and two, God sent his Holy Spirit. In John, the Holy Spirit is described as the one who will convict the world. And the Holy Spirit does convict the world. If you do not, have a work of the Spirit in your heart, you cannot get this. It has to be a work of the Spirit. But thank God that the reason he has sent his Spirit, and the reason why we don't have Jesus doing a little world tour, is the Spirit means that Jesus can be everywhere and at work in our hearts. And if you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in the Lord Jesus. But in one sense, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in the Lord Jesus because you've already got to a certain point where you see who he is. And that's almost like the passage we just read, where you sort of get it, and then you get it. But the Lord does the work in you. Your job is to look and see. The fact that you can't see until he works in you I can't tell you whether somebody's becoming a Christian at this moment in time. I can't tell you if I, if I listed a series of questions whether somebody is a Christian, not for absolute certainty. But the Lord knows, and the fruit in their lives over time usually gives you a pretty good indication. But you do not get the gospel unless God reveals it to you by his Spirit. But you don't get the gospel because of some religious experience that doesn't really mean anything and is okay to you but isn't everything else. It's true. Because he really did live. He really was the Messiah. He really is the Messiah. He really did die. He really did come back from the dead. And he did it for one reason. To bring his people back to God by paying for their sins. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus today, it is because the Spirit is at work in you. But if you believe in him, you should continue to read his word so that it becomes clearer and clearer to you who he is. And you should continue to listen to him so that you learn, like the disciples, to live lives that are better and better equipped to follow him. Peter, by the way, in chapter 2, big long speech. Not long afterwards, Peter and his mates, they're saying, how do these Galileans get this? Well, they didn't realize 
where they got it from. But they got it from Jesus. They got it from what he taught. And they got it from the Holy Spirit, making it alive to them. Are you blind? Can you see? Do you know who Jesus is? Are you aware of what he has done and what your response should be? Because your response should be to repent and follow him. Your response should be to to get to that place where he takes the veil from your eyes and you can see clearly that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, was the only one who could do that. And he did it. And because he's done it, and because he equipped those first apostles to write down what they knew, including Paul, born slightly out of time, what happened is we now have everything we need to explain the gospel, provided we recognize that whatever we do and whatever we say, it has to be a work of the Holy Spirit for it to work. Because otherwise, you're talking to the deaf and the blind. You look around our country and you think, well, they're pretty much deaf and blind to this a lot of the time. They're far too busy with their phones and they're worrying about coronavirus or whatever else it might be. But listen carefully. It was exactly the same 2,000 years ago when God broke in. And it's been exactly the same in this country more than once in the last 2,000 years. And yet God has broken through and changed it because he has moved people by his spirit. Jesus is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. He is the one who makes people who can't see able to see. They're living in darkness. They're without God in the world. And yet, they can see again because of hearing the gospel and having the Lord apply it to their hearts. If he's already done that for you, that is brilliant. But remember that your job is to continue to tell others and to pray for others and ask the Lord to intervene because without him, the gospel will never go forward. Gloriously, we know that he has sent his spirit and he does send the gospel forth. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more this evening, but I'm going to stop there today. The last song, could we just have the first slide of the last song up? How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. We really must understand that. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled? If you know who he is, come to him.